throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourselves? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hi there, and welcome to another edition of Things Worth Considering. I'm Gord Riddell, and here with the wild and crazy Dr. Jan Hill. Um, and we invite you to consider a key issue that affects so many of us as we age, um, as we become caretakers of others who are ill or aging or become infirm. Um, it's kind of a unique experience when, as we're, we're aging and we've perhaps brought up our children to suddenly be in a position of looking after our children and looking after our parents or a spouse or our, our friends, people who are close to us, our siblings. So anyway, Jan and I want to talk about that today because we think it's a real important area as to who is taking care of the caretakers. And Jan, how are you? I'm great, Gord. How are you doing? I'm good. It's good. beautiful. It's sunny. But who can say anything worse? It's wonderful. You know, last week we looked at the aging process. We did. Not that you and I are aging. We're, nope. you know, In we're just locked in stone. So yep. <laughs> we'll just stay as these monuments. Um, you know, it's obviously it's a biological, it's inevitable. We're all going to age. And it's, you know, it's very much shaped by our cultural beliefs. It's, it's based on, you know, what you want to believe. If you think that a 50-year-old is supposed to look this way and a 70-year-old is supposed to act this way, then that's going to happen, right? Yeah. Like, which is which is unfortunate uh, that people buy into that. Caretaking, on the other hand, is usually carried on by a close friend or a relative, often being drawn in by the person's uh, decrease in functionality or the mobility or disease process. Um, and caretakers are performing their caretaking uh, uh, duties out of a sense of obligation, of uh, duty, loyalty, and, of course, love. Um, the caretaker often has another job, though, outside of the home. And as the, uh, uh, you know, the person is going to, to work, they're coming home to another complete different job. And that's, that's like brutal, totally yeah. brutal. I think this is a really invisible issue in, in our society and um, today. And I think that this is uh, a problem, a big problem, because there's so many people doing so much of this work in isolation. Is and it, often without the help of other people or just a small number of people. If, if, I think that very often it falls, you know, certainly my experience with, you know, my mother when she was in this position uh, was not really reaching out for a whole lot of people, Mm. you know, and, and, you know, it it just becomes such a huge burden on people. Um, You know, they've done estimates like this is in the, in the the American economy, billions upon billions of dollars. If this was actually being paid outright, you know, people were being paid to be the caretaker. Um, And it goes and not only does it go unpaid, it's absolutely just an assumption right. that there's going to be no pay involved. Right, because it's an extension of the caretaking role that historically has been attached to women who, for, you know, middle class women, upper middle class women who um, remained inside, like, responsible for the work in the domestic sphere, right? So it's an extension of the caretaking stuff that you do with kids. Yes. So it's just one more person to look after. And, you what's know, a, we have these nuclear mother? families now as opposed to more extended families. And in the extended families, when we had more kids and such, there were more people to help you with the work. That's and true. And now there's just less people. That's true. Right? I remember it was my grandmother. She came to live with us, the, the sort yeah. of the nuclear family. It certainly changed the dynamic of the household. 
you know, uh, because she she ended up being with us for quite a long time, uh, which was on the one hand wonderful that to have had her uh, uh, in our life all that time. But it certainly changed it. Uh, she was the mother-in-law. She was my mother's mother-in-law. Mm. So they had their their own little battles at times, <laughs> uh, which was interesting. Yeah, because sometimes there's sort of a bit of a battle for power that happens. Well, I don't make things right. that way. Yep. yep. <laughs> I watched my mother go, you know, she began to steam off yeah. um, when, when you know, if there was any level of criticism or anything, it was kind of interesting. And it makes total sense, right? Because if the, the person who's in need of care is becoming increasingly more dependent and, and they know it and they feel it, then sometimes they'll, they'll try to get control of other areas of, you know, of daily life, right? So oh, absolutely. And it's so stable. subtle, though. No. That's what's really interesting. It was so subtle. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the the person who needs the care, you know, God beloved them, uh, it's that person who's taking care of them that we're the most concerned about here. Um, because people are not reaching out. People are not asking for a lot of help. And I think there's some models that we're going to talk about that, you know, they can, uh, you know, look at, look into and look after. Because, it, you know, if they go down, then, you know, there's a big problem here. There's a big problem here. Right, of course. And And it's already so expensive. I mean, you know, people can't afford to bring in nurses or personal support workers and all these other titles that that are out there. They're very expensive, especially to have, you know, someone there 24 hours a day. Right. And we're living longer. Way longer. And so this caretaking, the, the, the extended life expectancy of people means that the caretaking phase the person that you're looking after may, in fact, you might be imagining at first that you're sort of filling in for a temporary, a temporary gap in a temporary situation, but it can go on and on and on. And um, the medical care is so good now at keeping people who are very, very ill alive. Alive for a long, long time. Yeah, at a long, long time. You know, yeah. This is, this is a relatively new phenomenon as well. You know, in the same way that we yeah. talked about the concept of retirement last week with aging, that's a, a new invention in the 20th century, in the 1900s. Uh, this was in the 50s and 60s that, you know, women went into the workforce in a big way and, uh, you know, had the, the, the paid job outside of the home. And it wasn't, you know, until sort of some feminists, uh, you know, such as uh, Meg Luxton and uh, Dorothy Smith that really took a look and said, hey, just a minute here, there's something going on. Yeah. And that it was the fact that we have a double ender. (laughs) We have the paid and then when they're going home to an unpaid. Yeah, the double work day. Yep. And the expectation was still there, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that, oh, mom's coming in from work. It was the fact of, you know. She then would have to come in and start making dinner and doing laundry and doing all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, so you have to maintain all the stuff that you would have been doing had you been home 24-7. Yep. You know, and the, and for, for men, like, we're, and we're just using a heteronormative model here, but uh, for men too, it meant that the importance of increasing the income meant working longer hours at work. Oh, big time. So it actually means then there's less, there's fewer people, fewer adult people in the household to actually help with the labor. Right. 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 And and so, but that's also then uh, is children who are in this environment are also left alone from both parents longer as well. Yeah. And the thing about children is interesting, right? Because at the same time, now we have this extension of childhood and this idea that these kids are, are uh, less mature for longer in their life. So there's even fewer people to help out with and more responsibility that falls to the primary caregiver in the home. Exactly. There was, there was, there was a study done that um, uh, estimated that approximately 27% of those under age 30 still living at home were actually working in a care, caregiving situation. Wow. They were covering for the, in some way, shape or form, they were covering for the, the primary, the, the female. 
in uh, in heteronormative, you know, general wedding kind of thing. Yeah, and that's that's people under the age of thirty. You said under the age of thirty. Yeah. Wow. And you know, I think we'll we'll get to talk a bit about that because we usually think of you're right that we think of um, the uh, the the caregiver role as being something that's evolved with the boomers. Yes. With the unusual position that the boomers have been placed in in this particular century, right? And sort of uh, this is one of the things that they face being part of that sandwich generation. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's a whole bunch of children now uh, growing up in environments where, because the parents are both at work, because they're exhausted, because they're depressed, because they're overworked, because of all this other kind of stuff, that they're coming home and they're looking after their siblings in yes. a more, uh, in a deeper and more detailed way than they have historically before, right? Yeah. And we, when we're talking about looking after too, I mean, we're talking like the whole game. We're not talking about somebody who's physically deteriorating because of a disease process. Yeah. We're, you know, or just just an aging process. We're talking about financially, spiritually, emotionally, uh, mentally. I mean, the whole human being at in all, every level has to be taken care of in these in these situations. You know, whereas if you have someone, for instance, in an active care hospital, you have you know, spiritual guidance people, you know, whether whether we call them chaplains or whether we call them spiritual directors, um, you know, through to nursing care and, and of course, the doctors uh, who are all part of what is falling upon this one one family. Right. And the whole, even though we're certainly the primary caregivers are concerned, uh, the whole family is very affected by this, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because... When, when th- what had been probably, you know, say a fairly normal family uh, environment or whatever, the, and now that parent is stuck in a sandwich position and trying to hold that, you know, all together, their moods are going to be changing, you know, as they become tired or overwhelmed. And that, you know, we always know anger always flows downwards. Mm-hmm. It never flows upwards. Mm-hmm. Rarely does someone take on authority. It always goes down. So, you know, it's like in just a very, very generalized way. The, the male gets, gets uh, uh, yelled at at work. He comes home and yells at his wife. The wife, you know, yells at the kids. The kids get the cat, get the cat. The cat, you know, eats the dog mm. all the way down the line. But it's always flowing downwards. So kids actually then are also, you know, being in some way subjected to just a, 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 a very low level of tolerance for being so frustrated that the parent is going through. Mm-hmm. You know, and then every demand that comes in, you know, as they become, say, more bedridden or, or whatever, it's really, really problematic as right. to so how that person deals with it. Yeah. So it's this increased stress load, not only on the caretaker, but throughout the whole family. The whole family. As the whole structure that. of the family starts changing and shifting and adapting to accommodate different financial, physical, emotional needs and responsibilities that are related to the caregiving Peace. Totally. Yeah. Totally. You know, we, I mean, it's un, and it's understandable. I mean, you know, to have someone and to be placed in that position of being, you know, just assume the the, the adult daughter, uh, you know, becomes you know first in line to take over as as primary caregiver, right. and it's uh, um, it's just so very very difficult on the whole family. It has to. I mean, anything that you know about family systems tells you if one thing changes. You know, then the yep. whole system begins to vibrate and begins to change. Yep. You know, and that's exactly what 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 happens here. Yeah, and sometimes the changes, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes the way that things change might be really obvious. Yep. But more often than not, they're quite subtle, and you never even notice. You, you never just even notice. Feel that feels something's not right. Yeah. And people just keep adapting. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, right. You know, I mean, and, and, I mean, that's one of the things that's so you know amazing about human beings is our ability to adapt, but. 
we also can adapt to pain. We right. can also adapt to crazy or chaotic. Uh, and then it just becomes our new norm. Right. You know? Right. So whether, you know, whether it's a woman or whether it's a man who's in that, that primary role, uh, everyone's going to respond very differently uh, with, with an, with an uh, automatic outcome, though, that's going to be very similar right across the board. Yeah. You know, you used a, a term, you used the, the word uh, the sandwich, where people are sandwiched. So that's actually a sociological term, the sandwich generation. generation it re- yeah. yeah, it refers to uh, it refers to the whole generation of uh, families of couples, actually, but mostly women who um, delayed having kids because they were in the workforce or they were extending mm-hmm. their ed- education. Yeah. And so they ended up with young kids in their forties, maybe even in their late forties, right? And they're at the time when their parents were aging, and so right. they were stuck working. Racing home, looking after the kids, doing all the stuff that they had to do, and and then looking after their parents as well, going and getting those groceries, and at a time when the divorce rate was going up. <laughs> so it could be quite likely that they were also doing this as a single parent. Yeah, and I mean, that's really horrific. Yeah. You know, I mean, at least if, if you have a, a partner, you know, somehow, if, if nothing else, even if the partner doesn't split the actual workload, at least you have... You know, someone to at least talk to, you know. Uh, but when you don't have that outlet other than, say, your children, then, you know, we run into uh, difficulties at that point then of us using children in a way of being almost like a quasi-spouse. Yeah. You know? And that that's seriously affects them. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. They become so overly responsible. Um, and, and, you know, the child is now the, 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 uh, the parent to other people. Exactly. Yeah. So let's take a fast second here to look at some of the caretaking stats. So 66% of family caregivers are women. Yep. And more than 37% have children or grandchildren under 18 years of age who are living with them. Wow. So that's the sandwich piece. Uh, And 1.4 million children ages 8 to 18 provide care for an adult relative. Yeah, that's so, outside. I was yeah, yeah, eight to eighteen. Eight to right? eighteen. Very young. Seventy-two percent are caring for a parent or grandparent, and sixty-four percent live in the same household as the care recipient. Care recipient. Right. Right. Yeah, and then you know, on the one hand, you know, I I really believe in that children should be a part of what I think we've lost, and that is, mm. you know, death, uh, the 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 funeral thing. People, when they're really sick, we've pushed all that out of the house. You know, when someone needs to go into rehab, we push them into another hospital somewhere else. You know, so all of the things that used to be so much a part of, you know, say, our grandparents' generation and and, and, and back. Uh, but also in Europe, you know, I mean, it's still very common. So children, children get a, real, a much better exposure, I think, to what life really is. It, we've made it so anesthetic, so antiseptic mm-hmm. here that... You know, uh, so I think that I think that there's a benefit on the one hand to to children having some exposure to you know an older person as they're they're you know getting ready to pass on, you mm-hmm. know, or a person with different disabilities, like with different abilities, right? Absolutely, right? absolutely. And speaking of different you know abilities, I my different ability is I have to break away now. Okay, it's time for us to go to a break. Um, you're listening to uh, Gord Riddell into Jan Hill and this is Things Worth Considering here on Voice America Talk Radio and we will be back in a couple of minutes.
We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. What makes someone successful in their field? On Transformational Energy Leadership, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey speaks to amazing guests who share their ideas, advice, tips, and tricks as to what defines success for them. The result is positive transformation for you. You'll learn that personal energy is the key to make it work. And you'll hear through actual examples how to bring that positive transformation to life. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. For so many years, adults and teens have experienced a breakdown in communication. It doesn't have to be like this. Listen for Tools for Teen Transformation with Lily Williams. Coach Lily and her guest will tackle subjects like bullying, self-esteem issues, teen pregnancy, substance abuse, and more. It's all about getting teens and the adults in their lives to think differently. You could save a teen's life. Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern and 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, and uh, welcome back to uh, Things Worth Considering. Um, Jan Hill and I'm Gord Riddell. We're here, and we're talking about who's taking care of the caretaker. Um, there's some uh, uh, an interesting thing that's happening in our society is people are being sandwiched between the older generation and our younger generation as we bring uh, both of them along and uh, taking care of both. So, um, you know, I guess... Really, what we want to do is differentiate, you know, like there's the caretaking and caregiving, okay? So, 
you know, to me, a caregiver is a professional, trained, paid for, um, and they, uh, you know, work in institutions. They also do home care, visiting nursing, even visiting, you know, uh, MDs. Um, what's, what's um, you know, sort of a, of interest is that um, the expectation that's put on the person at home is almost as though, or it is, equal to what is put on the professional in the institution. So you at home say, uh, you know, taking care mm-hmm. of your mother is expected to perform the same as a nurse would or, or you know, some sort of a caregiver in the, in the hospital in the same way. And that's, that's a huge responsibility to take that on. Well, and you don't have the level of training and you don't even, you know, like you don't have the level of knowledge and you don't, maybe you don't even have the physical aptitude to do something like that. Well, you know, I mean, uh, uh, I was, uh, we were just talking about, you mm-hmm. know, this booklet that's put out by uh, one of the local counties in terms of being a care caregiver at home. And it, it's about, you know, turning the patient over, having to take the patient to the washroom, getting them, you know, uh, cleaned and dressed and bathed. And that's, that requires a lot of back work, mm-hmm. you know, it really does, you know. Uh, so, you know, I'm not saying that all, you know, nurses are so robust. Most of them actually suffer from some sort of injury uh, sustained from moving patients around. So that's kind of being passed along here as it's being done at home. But I think importantly, you know, the, the caregiver is someone who's remunerated, who's, who's trained um, to understand a whole lot of different levels that are going on. The, the caretaker at home, and, and that's why I call them the caretaker versus the caregiver. You know, mm-hmm. the caretaker is, is being taken, taken for a ride. Mm-hmm. That's why I like using that word is, is you know, the, the caregiver is getting a paycheck. The caretaker is just getting screwed over, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and, I mean, we do, lo- we, we do it out of love. We do it out of loyalty. But we also, as a society, need to be very aware. Uh, you know, there was a study done um, by the NIH in, in 2000, um, between 2000 and 2002. And, you know, it showed that a number of these people were over the age of 65 in a caretaker position, taking care of a parent. They were not in any position to be taking care of anybody, let alone themselves. So, you know, that that poses a problem when you have the the recipient of the care uh, is is bringing down the giver. You know, now you have two people who are requiring care. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, people over the age of 65, over the age of 70, you know, even 75, you know, are not always that robust. We like to believe everyone is, but they're not. They're not. So it was, you know, it was kind of a, a really interesting um, a study when that one came out because it just showed how many people were doing it that really should not have been in a position to do it, you know. But. Yeah, and what a lack of resources there are out there to actually assist people who are doing it because you're exactly right. People do it out of love. Maybe they do it because they can't afford to do anything else. They yeah. do it out of a sense of duty or it's part of their it's part of their family structure, right? And but there's all these sociological forces that have altered the way that things have traditionally been done. Because traditionally, yeah, you looked after your elder people just as you looked after your children. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. But you didn't have someone working outside of the home. Exactly. And now we just have all these sociological forces, right? And so so people do this out of love and ob- obligation and 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 the caretaking actually brings something really good into the home, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but 
it, it can be a burden on the finances of the caretakers. You've got to pay for drugs. You've got to pay for uh, care aids like walkers. You have to maybe retrofit your home. Uh, there's cost to transportation. If not just the gas, it's, you know, any other little pieces that have to go along with, you know, changing changing your ride around and, and that sort of thing. There's often special dietary needs, um, assistance from professionals that you might have to come in, or even just yourself going to the chiropractor or, you know, going for a massage or something like that, just because it Who is exhausting to move people around and to do all those things, Absolutely. right? Or to carry extra grocery bags, right? And I think that this is one of the big, there's kind of, this reflects the, the sort of the big, uh, um, well, I would say it's the destabilization of the family unit, but vis-a-vis the actual development of the state, right? So, so what happens usually is as family systems start to change, often in democracy, the state, in a service-oriented democracy, the state will actually start to pick up some of those of those um, th- those things that a family would do, like the daycare system, those kinds of things. Right. And this is not happening when it comes to things like elder care or looking after uh, people who need chronic chronic help, who are chronically ill, right? No, and it's, it's really interesting because by keeping people at home, A, they live longer, they, they are happier usually, right? Yes, yes. They say, they seem to be. Um, and uh, it actually diminishes the cost of caretaking for the state. So all these caretakers at home are actually saving the state money. Well, they are because, you know, whether it's in, in, in America – uh, you know, for Medicaid to be able to kick in, I mean, their criterion is very, very, very strict mm-hmm. for them to be able to get some sort of assistance of having someone in the home taking care of somebody. Mm-hmm. And in Canada, it's equally as problematic to get a disability credit, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, comes back in terms of taxes. So uh, it doesn't matter what part of North America you're in, that the elders of our society are not being respectfully taken care of. Right. Nor are the people who are put in a position to have to take care of them. Because, you know, gradually the care, the caregiver, the caretaker, you know, slowly begins just losing their energy. You know, every day just becomes a little bit harder as they themselves probably are slipping into some sort of a depression, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, just feeling so overwhelmed um, to have to do this. Um, And they, you know, and, and, you know, if it's our parent, we don't want to do a bad job. You know, oh, right. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, some of us, if we're having a bad day, you go to our job and we can like fluff it off. Right. Know, not usually, but, mm-hmm. you know, it depends what you do. Uh, you can take a day off, have a mental health day. Exactly. That doesn't exist. Call in sick. Call in sick. You right. can't call in sick for being someone's daughter. Right. And you get holidays. <laughs> right? <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. I'm having a, I'm having a, a, a holiday right now from, uh, from being a son. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. I always think about, too, what happens if you're a younger caregiver. So I have students from time to time, actually a growing number of them, who uh, look after their grandparents or they have to look after their siblings. So they can't come to class or they miss getting assignments in or whatever. They they have this huge you know, workload. Many of them work outside the home, plus they're full-time student, plus they have family responsibilities. And, and so I think that their education suffers. So what is the long-term effect of that on the younger caregivers. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, they're going to begin to ex- exhibit exactly the same of, of uh, feeling run down, of uh, the inability to focus. That's where you're seeing the schoolwork becoming a problem. But in underneath all of that, there's this resentment begins to come up. Right. And, you know, it's it's one thing to be angry at something, but when resentment, when it's gone over into resentment, 
you know, you're really into uh, something that's very hard to heal. In fact, in many cases, it's very difficult to heal resentment. I think that's a reflection of a greater family dynamic in play, right? Because, uh, it, you know, it depends, too, on your ethnocultural background. So for some, like, I'm waspy, so for some of us waspy folk, the thought of looking after your parents is, uh, it, you know, it's kind of anathema, I think, too, often the cultural background, right? Sure. Because... Yeah, because the perception is always you have your kids, your kids leave the nest, they go off and have their life, and maybe you meet up in Florida from time to time, have a party with your parents, but basically, you know, you kind of abandon the generation before you. And that's kind of the ideal that's often placed on on children by parents is go leave the nest, go off, have your own life, right? So resentment happens when you have to return to the nest. And return to those roles. And return to the roles, Absolutely. You might be 30 years old now, but you're going to go back into the role that you had when you were 15. Well, yeah, because your parents are always going to see you as the child. So you have the responsibility of the caretaker, right? But you don't have the status in the mind of the person you could be parent. 50 years old, and that's going to be true. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's, you know, sort of the, the, the idea that, uh, uh, that we're always, always a child. Uh, you know, you, he, I can leave the city. This is when my parents were still alive. Yeah. They've passed on now. But, uh, you know, and drive up north to my parents. And as I pulled into the town, I would drop from age 40 to 30. <laughs> As I pulled into my parents' house to the driveway, I would drop down to age so 20. So that's the secret to anti-aging. That's how you do it. Right. You just keep arriving at your parents' house. Exactly. <laughs> and then by the time I got into their house and sat on the sofa, I was 12 years old going, yes, yeah. mom. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, this, this is, you know, age regression that just naturally occurred yeah. when you would go there. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of a funny, funny scenario, but it's so true. If people think about it, how... When you're in the presence of your parent, you you fall back to being much younger than you actually. Yeah, so I have a funny story about that. It's not my story. It's a story of uh, somebody that who told me this story. Actually, is that they actually look after their parents at their house, and they are in their fifties and or late forties. I guess they're in their late forties. But anyway, they have a, they had a female, and they had a new uh, a new boyfriend, and um, so they want to have sex in the house, but they couldn't have sex at her house because her parents were there. And it was like, oh, my God, this is like when I was a teenager. I can't have sex in my house because my parents are here, right? So <laughs> that's, that makes that's too laugh. funny. It is. It is. It's too funny. You know, um, from uh, here's another another stat from uh, from Canada, and that is that 1.9 million Canadians between the ages of 15 and 29. That's 20% of that age group are young caregivers, mm-hmm. you know, or caretakers, actually, mm-hmm. all right? Uh, they provide unpaid care for others, for uh, illness, disabilities, uh, injuries, and, you know, it causes um, mental health and, and well-being to be very jeopardized. Yeah, so you know. you've got the, all the anxiety and the overwhelm that then, you know, you max out on and then you become depressed. Well, yeah, but you, you, don't, you don't have, uh, at, at that age, you haven't really developed a lot of coping mechanisms and yes. resiliency. And to social networks those kinds. that can help and you Networks, out. absolutely. None yeah. of those things even exist. So yeah. it, it, it sets them up almost, you know, not to say that it can't be changed, but the biggest majority of people, you know, is going to uh, move into a mindset where they're there, you know, for probably the rest of their life. Yeah. You know, and so that's going to affect their longevity. Yeah. So I feel like we're being super negative. Well, a little bit. I think we need to paint the picture as it is in order for people to really understand that this is something that the government should be involved in. You know, this is a political issue. This is a healthcare issue. I think it's a human rights issue. Yeah. 
yeah, think yeah. that people should be be afforded, especially afforded in changing our, our definition of moving away from this whole thing of a senior citizen. And we talked about this last time yeah. of becoming the elders, you know, that we respect it more. You know, we're, we're moving, we're moving, you know, uh, you know, we're moving seniors into our home, either our relatives, but, you know, we're moving them in because there's nowhere else for us to put them. We can't afford to put them somewhere else. And, and, you know, those that have the money, if they can afford it, they will put them somewhere else. Yeah. And avoid this whole situation, yeah. you know, uh, which is, you know, really unfortunate because there really is, you know, truly a benefit. Um to having grandparents around. Well, yeah. And, you know, there's something actually called the grandparents effect, right? Which is that when children grow up with their grandparents around them, they actually have higher reports, like they have higher levels of happiness. They report higher levels of happiness, greater social sense of social connection, and a larger actual communication repertoire of like a skill repertoire, right? Oh, they absolutely. Have, yeah. Absolutely. You know, you know I mean... You know, I I will always always uh, you know say if it wasn't for my grandmother, I wouldn't have my career. Yeah, she was the one that really taught me by and and much of that was just observing her in her career, uh, you know, in the church and and being a pastor. It was you know, it was wonderful to have someone uh, in my life to be able to to, to uh, emulate like that. Takes a village. Yeah, it did take a village, and she was the whole village for a while. There you go. Right. <laughs> Lovely Scottish woman, lovely Scottish woman. She was the village, but you know, there's you know there are benefits. There's absolutely benefits. I think you know uh, everything from you know increased uh, uh, sociability to vocabulary to uh, just stuff to talk about and things that we can learn. And they're not sitting there on their smartphones either. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I think that there there are some things that uh, you know we can look at as to how we can take care of ourselves. Um, and you know, they're not they're not that difficult. You know, what's difficult doing it, <laughs> yeah. doing it, believing that you have the right to take a few minutes or an hour away. Uh, the world will not to end. To look after yourself, right? To look after Put yourself. Put on your own oxygen mask. That's right. That's right. Put on your own oxygen mask first and then take care of the rest. So perfect. That's a perfect analogy out of the out of an aircraft. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> thank you, Jana, because I just couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> That'd be a first. Um, uh, he says, uh, yes. So uh, I think, though, we should take a break before we go into these. Okay, let's do I that. I think this is something worth come, coming back to after the break. Okay, so we did bashing, first section. Yes. Bashing, second and section. The second, second segment, section. we're bashing is section, government. We're like, thumbs up. We're, we're bashing government in action okay. around, around our, taking care of our elders um, and how much it's costing. Okay, okay. we're going to come back and we're going to talk about caregivers taking care of themselves. So this is uh, Gord Riddell in Jan Hill, and this is Things Worth Considering. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. 
This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, uh, welcome back. Uh, we're talking uh, here at uh, Things Worth Considering. We're talking about uh, who's taking care of our caregivers. And it's an important issue uh, that we need to come to terms with, maybe not in today's session, but we'll hopefully give you something to consider here uh, as to what needs to happen out there. You know, when we are in this position, and we've talked about that sandwich, uh, the pressure of that, there's a lot of things people go through. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've, we've touched on some of them, like, you know, depression and loss of energy. Uh, those things feed right into developing anxiety. You know, rarely does depression ever exist without an anxiety disorder coming in there for a little while. Yeah, up and down, up and down, right? Yeah. Uh, what are yep. some other ones, Sarah? What are some other ones on your list? Uh, hyperreactivity. 
I think that's an important thing. What do you mean by that? I mean, <gasps> I mean, you know, it's that thing where somebody says something where you get triggered really, really easily. I know. And so you don't. You do that to me all the time. I do. I know. Rawr. Yeah. And rawr. so I'm doing it now. <laughs> and so what happens is that, uh, you know, something something happens in the immediate environment around you and you just don't have that moment anymore to actually just go, oh, I better think about this. I better make my choices in terms of how I'm going to react and, and um, when I, how I'm going to follow through on something, right? It's just like, it's boom. Not, yeah, it was not responding. It's yeah. not responding to life. It's re- just reacting. reacting. And, and, you know, reactions happen so quickly. Response to, when we respond to things, which is our ideal, it takes a little yeah. bit of thought. Yeah. But reacting is just like instantaneous, boom. Yeah. And, yeah, and that gets us into trouble. Yeah, you know, another one that I think that our listeners that uh, are experiencing this in their life and doing that, uh, the, the caretaking rule, uh, would relate to is rumination. Mm. It's that constant revisiting and reevaluating. Did I do the right thing? Will I be doing the right thing? What's the best way to do this? How, what's the strategy? What did they really mean when they said dot, dot, dot? What did that doctor, you know, mean, you know, for this? How did I, where did I put that bottle of medicine so, so that that's going to lead directly into like a loss of confidence. Yep. And that's going to lead directly into, uh, you know, a, a lowering of one's self-esteem. Yeah. And this constant sort of problem-solving mode, right? Um, and you're actually not solving any problems when you're ruminating. You're just worrying about the problems that you have to solve. <laughs> right? But that's yeah. connected to insomnia, exhaustion, compassion fatigue is really important in burnout because we also know that high rates of elder abuse actually occur within the homes where there's a, a strong caretaking role. Absolutely. And limited resources. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, right. You know, when, when we have that, um, you know, a very low tolerance for feeling frustrated and, and that tolerance level is just gets lower and lower, then we lash out. Right. You know. Yep. Any feeling that does not have an opportunity to be expressed, right, will will find a way to come out sideways. Yes, and that can also uh, be a result of um, um, like a whole lifetime of unresolved resentments that that people might have with their parents, right? Oh my God, yes. It's like what you said about sitting on the couch and being twelve again. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So if you do have these kinds of you know uh, unresolved issues, mm-hmm. and then to have a parent. You know, because they can't do it for themselves to have some sort of a, um, uh, you know, making demands, you know, like, like, oh, I don't like that. I want to eat this or, mm-hmm. you know, you're back to being 12, but you're back to that 12 year old being angry. And, mm-hmm. You know, all of those kinds of things is coming out on um, what can often for somebody else would just be a simple demand. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, in in terms of things like you know, people are are were, are also if they're working, going to have difficulty uh, being being competent there. Yeah, because you're going to carry all of that over there. Uh, they're going to not take vacation time. Yep, because it's just going to you know, like we can't go away not at this point. You know, right. uh, also then is is you know, people learn to have uh, uh, mechanisms that. Help us, we think, to relieve our pressure, such as drinking and drug mm-hmm, abuse. Mm-hmm. This is just an open door to go through that right now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because the end result is it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help. It may feel like temporary relief, and it does give temporary relief, mm-hmm. but that's where the addiction begins to build. Right. And, you, you know, know, another thing I think that's really important to uh, mention is that 
the caretaking can actually affect the relationship you're, between you and your significant other. And oh, when yes. you combine that with exhaustion, depression, rumination, hyperreactivity, all these things is it can it can lead to uh, pressure in that intimate partner connection. It can lead to a loss of sex drive, which is actually a physiological response, which is related to sure. being hyperreactive and always in a state of anxiety, right? But how it plays out in interpersonal dynamics is there's a sense of feeling of rejection and loss, loss in that relationship. Right. Right. And then gradually you just have this apocalyptic worldview. Yeah. That what's the point? You know, you feel worthless, you're angry, you're resentful. You know, you just, you become so closed in, you have this sense of separation from, from the world. Yeah. And that's a dangerous place. Yeah, which that's leads a very dangerous to place. all sorts of feelings, right? Guilt, frustration, annoyance, overwhelm. Right. And, and if those aren't being dealt with, yeah. then they either are are quenched, you know, in a drink, yeah. uh, and I'm not talking about uh, water, of alcohol or, or drug drug use or whatever, um, as a way to do it, or it's going to come out sideways. It's a big emotional buffet. <laughs> right? Except the people don't often have choices as to which one they're going to take from somebody. Nah. It's just whatever's going to be dished out, one dish at a time. <laughs> so how do you look after yourself? Okay, so first of all, is is you must know that you are equal to and above the person you're taking care of. If you become ill, if you do not take time for yourself, then you become another patient. Right. And I think that's just so important for right. people to realize that they will be in the same position. They're going to have then somebody else taking care of them who's taking care of them. Who, you know, it's, it's like a domino, mm-hmm. you know, as, as to who goes down first. But budgeting time for yourself and, you know, making sure that you're eating, you're sleeping, you're going to the doctor, you're doing whatever you need to do to make sure that you are okay and that your family is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. We get so singularly focused on that person. And, uh, you know, not to take away from them, but, you know, there's a whole family when that person passes on and they, they're dead and there's a whole family that's going to be left in shambles sometimes as a result of this caregiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else have we got here? You know, um, what else comes to mind? Uh, uh, ask for help. Yeah. Oh ask for God. help. And this is the interesting thing, too, right, is that social dynamics in your family can actually uh, grow stronger. Trust can go stronger when you're working on things together. So instead of being the delegator of tasks necessarily uh, to your family members, you can sit down with them and you can say, look, I here's the things that need to happen and we need to figure out how, as a family how to do this. Yeah. Right. So we need everybody to take one or two things off this list. We need to figure out in an organized and sort of strategic manner, right, how we're going to get this stuff done. Yay, team. Exactly. Yay. How grandma and grandpa or Uncle Joe or whatever is going to get looked after so that we can have time to spend time together as a family. Right. Right. And it's in doing these things together that uh, families can actually really grow strong. Right. Exactly. But if you end up moving into a place of isolation. Yeah. Which, which can happen, uh, you know, we want to make sure that doesn't happen. Well, and the, I think that that's a go-to for a lot of people in their own busy, busy lives. Because let's face it, it's so much easier in the immediate moment to just run to the store and get that insure or, you know, do the driving to the doctors than it is to uh, organize everybody and organize the schedule at first, anyway, until people get into this new pattern of being a team together, right? It's just so much or- it's so much easier to just do it yourself in the moment 
and oh, say, absolutely. you know what, I'll, we'll do it as a team next week. And then next week never happens. No, no. And sometimes it's just, a, I think, too, I think sometimes it's just an exacerbation. Yeah. You know, you're just so frustrated and exacerbated that people aren't coming through. They're not doing stuff. It's kind of like, forget it. You know what? I'm just going to do it myself. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I, you know, see myself do that, uh, you know, here with, with, with uh, the job. Yeah. You know, I, you know, my staff can't be here at three in the morning just because I am. But yep. it's like, well, then if there's nobody here, I better do it myself, you know. Um, and that can get into another, you know, into exactly the same sort of a thing, you know. So part of it is then setting boundaries with people um, uh, that we care for and people that we work with and so on. Um, the boundaries are not a way of keeping people out. It's, it's a way of keeping ourselves in good shape. Mm, that's a good point. You know, yeah. Um, bound, most people are really bad with the concept of boundaries. And yet boundaries is, is so much a part of ethics professionally, <coughs> um, you know, that understanding that this is me and that part is you. Of course, no one can see my hands doing what I'm doing, uh, <laughs> which is putting an invisible shield around me and one around you. Uh, that, you know, that becomes, uh, uh, you know, an important part of recognizing the difference between where I start and you pick up. Right. You know, instead of merging them. Right. You know, I think boundaries, you know, I, I'm a, this is my thing. I think boundaries are pretty good thing to have but you know why it's because boundaries allow me to build routines and you know me i'm a big routine person oh, so sure. it's like i whip out my schedule and i go okay this has got to happen this has got to happen this has got to happen in this particular order right so when you are that kind of a person when you can build those routines around things what that allows you to do actually is keep the big picture at the same time as paying attention to the detail and okay. so when you have a lot of tasks to get done, when you've got a lot of different stuff to do during the course of a day and a lot of needs to meet of other people's and your own, then having routines uh, keeps kind of everybody on the same page. It does. Right? You know, after after breakfast, we go and we put the dishes in the dishwasher or we do this, <laughs> even if it's a tiny Our brain's thing. like that, though. Hmm? Our brains yeah. like that. Our brains are very habitual. Yeah. They're very comfortable with schedules. And then you don't have to spend your brain power and your energy thinking about getting all the daily things done because they're just routinized, right? That's right. all just happens. Exactly. Um, you can spend your brain power thinking of the things that are sort of new to the agenda. Yeah. Or you can spend your brain power going to your kids' play at the school or the soccer game or whatever, yeah, right? exactly, exactly. So, okay, so some tips. So we need some tips here for... You know, if we're caring for aging parents, um, first of all, is is to maintain frequent contact. Right. Stop isolating and reach out. Yeah, and to around. remain in frequent contact. Let's say they don't live at home. They're, they're, your parents aren't living at home with yep. you, right? To maybe have that five-minute phone call every day in the morning. Absolutely. Right? To just Absolutely. check in. Check in in the morning. And that five-minute phone call in the morning, hi, mom, I'm running out the door, but just wanted to check in. Have you got enough app- apples for today or whatever it is, right? <laughs> that yeah. five-minute phone call will establish a connection. Again, if it's a routine, that's great because then your mom or whatever will know, oh, I've got five minutes, right? This you know, is my five after, after my dad died, uh-huh. it was my mom and I talked every day. Yeah. And, and then when she died, wow, was that a hole? It was like, <laughs> I got to get someone to call me. Yeah, <laughs> but it really, I mean, <laughs> there had become such a, a you know a, a, a building between my mother and I. Yeah. You know, after my dad had died, and and uh, and she became ill, and it was like, holy crap. Yeah. 
Where is she? I'm still expecting her to call. She better, I'm hoping she'll call today. But Yeah, well, a lot of the anxiety from people um, who are in need of caretaking and, and um, need care is that they, they feel isolated themselves. Yes. Right? So yeah, they absolutely, worry absolutely. about... Where is everybody right now? What's everybody doing? So now that we've got car phones, right? I mean, I think car phones are great because that's when you can check in with people as you're driving somewhere. You're not supposed to be Okay, I sound like a horrible multitasker, but you know I am. (laughs) And so, you know, but this is a beautiful thing. Thanks, say. Right? Uh, And and you know what? And just visit visit your parents more often if they're living off-site, you know, that you can monitor things. Mom, you know, encouraging the uh, aging parents to uh, get out into the community, uh, you know, perhaps uh, their faith, uh, their church, uh, all kinds of all kinds of ways. Yeah, because you want them to keep up their connections, right? Yeah. We know yeah. from Butner's work that we talked about last week that that's one of the things that keeps people young is their own connections. Exactly, exactly. You know, uh, consider hiring a caregiver. You know, uh, yeah. even if it's only for a couple hours uh, per day or, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, a few hours a week or something like that can make a huge, huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, getting, you know, getting your parents excited about new technology. Yeah, that's you a know, good one, right? I, I mean, I think half the world over the age of, you know, 80 are sending emails. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a hoot. I've got a ninety-year-old uncle, and uh, he can't hear anything, but he can certainly, you know, him and his wife are. She's not eighty uh, or, or ninety, but but I think she's just in her late seventies. But they they are always emailing. Yeah, over the age of seventy is one of the fastest growing um, uh, cohorts of technology users. Uh, and why is that? that? Right? It's because people want to communicate with their grandkids. Yes. So they have to figure out what that Instagram is or what that <laughs> Pinterest is or, you know, whatever that is so that they can actually communicate. Because if they're not on Facebook, they're not going to hear from their grandkids or even even their great grandkids. Right. They're That's just right. not going to hear from them anymore. Yeah. yeah, I love watching them with their, with their uh, smartphones. This isn't so smart to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know what? The biggest one, though, is... As as a, a, a person that we're taking care of gets gets more ill, drawing upon you know uh, other areas from palliative care, and that is creating mm-hmm. teams, and and you know having a team of whether it's it's siblings, whether it's the neighbors, it's it's like people that we trust and love that help us sort through in a twenty four hour period. That you have a four hour shift and they have a four hour shift, and we're just able to create a team. We have to be able to trust. We're not the only person who's going to be able to help them. Right. Uh, we can all help, and it it just takes that that all that stress, and it just spreads it amongst a whole bunch of people. You know, so you know, uh, you know what? I think that leads into what we should do next week. What should I we think, do? Next you know week? what we should do? I think we should start talking about relationships. Okay, let's do it. All right. I love talking about relationships. I know, relationships. I know you excited. do. We're both going, oh, no. Relationships, <laughs> you know what? Um, because this is, this is about relationships. You Life know? is about relationships. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's the only oh. way we grow. Yeah. It's the only way we grow. You can go up in the mountain all you want. I don't care. <laughs> You're not going to grow nearly as much as when you have to live down here and you have to interact with people you love, people you can sort of love, people you can barely tolerate. Um, and learning to tolerate them, learning to tolerate yourself. Um, I think that relationships are just such a huge thing. So I think that we can look at things like boundaries, for instance, you know, or how to, um, let me think, how we might actually be able to, you know, get along and uh, uh, have conflict resolution skills. Yeah, Mm -hmm. who knows? So, 
If you are in the Toronto area, by the way, March 22nd, we have another one of our fantastic Compassion Healing Energy Circles. Uh, we invite you to Transformational Arts College, 3300 Young Street, up on the third floor. And uh, we have meditation and individual energy work and group healing the planet. So you're more than welcome to come. Yeah, that people can be part of our community. Exactly. Right? We would love that. We welcome you to come back. It's Interfaith. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Jan Hill and Gordon Dell here at Things Worth Considering. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.